I'll be reading tonight from Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make brick and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us name the, <coughs> make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. And this is what they began to do. Now nothing that they proposed to do would be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. We are continuing our series on not just children's stories. And what child that's grown up with a religious background doesn't know the story of the Tower of Babel? And yet at the same time, I can probably count on one hand the number of sermons I've heard on the Tower of Babel in my lifetime. I think about this, and I think about it from this perspective. What we've got to understand first, brothers and sisters, is, number one, it's not sinful to build a tower, is it? Sometimes it is. Men build towers for different reasons, such as the Dallas skyline. They want to accentuate something about the skyline where they say, yeah, that's Dallas. And it is, as my brother and I, when we'd go travel through there as young children, we'd say, look, Mom, it's the ball building, right? Everybody understands Reunion Tower is the one that's there, and it's uh, accentuated by the Dallas skyline. I know that sometimes men in times past especially built towers for protection, for fortification, such as this castle here. They want to make sure that they can have a watchman that can have an elevated view to see the enemies approaching and see whether they're enemies or foes uh, or maybe friends, maybe merchants that are coming to trade. Sometimes it is that men build towers because, well, that's all the real estate that's available at the time. It's kind of funny because I lived in the Austin area for several years and listened to their talk radio and uh, people would buy this high rise or buy this condo in this high rise because it was advertised with a Ladyburg lakefront view. And before too long, they would build a tower right in front of that one. And uh, those people were getting mad because it was no longer a lakefront view. Now it was just a view of another tower. What there is in difference is looking at this tower. When God came down and when he inspected their tower, there was something wholly unholy about it. When God began to look at what these men were doing and their purposes, there was something that was an offense and affront to God that we need to get as adults. And as we look at and we see the, the context of what Gene uh, just read for us, you have in uh, Genesis four great events. You have the creation, you have the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3, you have the flood of Genesis chapter 6 and 7 as we work on with our kids. And you have the Tower of Babel here in Genesis chapter 11 before in Genesis chapter 12 he begins to chart the progress of the nation of Israel, the start of the nation of Israel through an individual that is Abraham in chapter 12. 
This is the last of the four great events of Genesis as we look at this this evening. And we look at these things and we see these people wanting to build a tower. Verse 4, it says that they want to make a name for themselves. But in verse 5, it says God comes down and inspects this tower. You see, when God comes down, he looks at it and he sees there's something wrong with it. In verse 7 and 8, the Lord scatters them by confusing their language. He wants them to stop building this tower and instead go and be scattered all over the earth. Can I tell you something? This passage bothers me or has bothered me in times past for a number of reasons. Just because, number one, here's the command of God. Let's go down and let us confuse their language. Genesis chapter 11 verse 7. Here's the problem I have with this, and here's the issue that I've had to really wrestle with. It is trying to bring this in harmony with what God says, or what Paul says about God in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul says, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. Now wait a minute. If God is the author of confusion, or if God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, How can we look at a passage like uh, Genesis chapter 11 and say God is the one who confused their language? I thought God wasn't about that. Let that sit and stew just for a few moments because I want you to wrestle with it too as we study this together this evening. I want you to realize that these two passages can be brought in harmony, but we need to understand some things about what was going on here at Babel before it is that we come back and really take a good hard look at it. Brothers and sisters, as we get started, I want you to understand this. God inspected these people's tower, and it is that God is still in the inspection business. God is still about looking at your life and looking at my life and seeing if it's something that glorifies Him or if it's something that is wholly unholy, if it's something that, that tries to glorify self. The older I get and the more I understand about our world and about the way that things operate within our world, the more I realize we need to come back to Genesis chapter 11 and relearn the lesson of the Tower of Babel. We need to look at this not as a children's story, not as just something to say this is where we got our language, but realize there are some very real implications about this for our world today here in 2018, almost 2019. Here is a principle that we absolutely need to get. Here's something we absolutely need to understand. Without God, there's going to be confusion. With God, there's going to be peace. Without God, there's going to be confusion. And with God, there's always going to be peace. Realize that principle, number one. And actually, it's kind of the key to understanding how we bring in Genesis chapter 11 and 1 Corinthians 14 into harmony. Realize this, three points about the confusion of what was going on here at the Tower of Babel. Number one, understand this from this, uh, from this account. Confusion is going to happen when our purposes aren't God's purposes. For this, I want you to go back to Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. Take a look at what God told Noah whenever Noah stepped, uh, set foot off the ark. Go back to Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. You remember God put the rainbow in the sky at the end of uh, Genesis chapter 8? And he said, never again would he destroy the earth by water. And as Noah and his his sons and his family got off the boat, God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and note this, fill the earth. I know I want you to go everywhere. Noah, I want your seed to go everywhere, all over the face of the earth. I don't want it to stay in one place. I want you to fill this earth. And I want you to make it something of what it was that God had originally in mind. Now look back at Genesis chapter 11 and verse 1. What does it say there? It said the whole earth had one language and one speech. Why two different words? 
It's because that second word may be better translated one speech or one cause or one business. These people were united in their purpose. They wanted to accomplish something. And the Bible says, as it came to pass, look at verse 2, and it came to pass, they had this one language, and they, they, the whole earth, they, the whole earth, journeyed in the east plan in Shinar, and they, the whole earth, dwelt there. And 11 verse 4, it says, uh, they said, come, let's build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let's make a name for ourselves. Note this, lest we be scattered abroad over all the faces of the earth. What it seems like is going on here in Genesis 11 is a stubborn refusal to do what God said back in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 1. We don't want to be scattered. We don't want to fill the entire earth. Let's all dwell here. Let's make this a Mecca. Let's make this a, a, a stronghold. And let's make a name for ourselves. What's more? Who established Babel? Look back just for a moment in Genesis chapter 10, verses 8 through 10. It gives a genealogy of a man by the name of Cush. And it says, Cush begot a man by the name of Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Two uses of the word Nimrod are two translations. One of them could be translated valiant. <laughs> I can't, can't help but mention this. When my brother and I were younger, my mom would come in and she would see us playing and she'd say, what are you two Nimrods doing? And, and uh, she didn't know she was calling us valiant, did she? That's right. All right. So you understand that one of the words was valiant. The other way that it could be translated is rebellious, rebel. Here's Nimrod and here's a guy who seems like the beginning of his kingdom was rebellious. The purpose that he had in mind was to be rebellious against the Lord. There's a positive sense of his name and a negative sense of his name. And so it says the Lord scattered. Brothers and sisters, when our purposes are not God's purposes, it may seem valiant to us, and yet it seems as that's rebellious to God. When our purposes aren't God's purpose, it may seem like a noble, a wonderful thing for a man to take charge of his own destiny and say, you know what, I'm going to blaze a trail for myself. I'm going to forge my own destiny. And they want to go a way that's wholly against the Lord. It may seem valiant. It may seem like a rebel, right? But you have an understanding that that's unpleasing to God, displeasing to God. We know what's right to give honor and glory to God in our lives and his he sits unrivaled as our king in our hearts and the king of our lives. There is no other God. We say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Understand this, number two. Confusion is going to happen when we give in to the world's vision of unity. There's going to be confusion when we give in to the world's vision of unity. Look at this verse three. They said to one another, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. We've got bricks for stone. Let's, we've got asphalt for mortar. Verse, two, verse 4, let's build for ourselves a city, a tower whose top is in the heavens. Brothers and sisters, when you've got mankind who has strong stones and they've got unity of their purpose, you've got a recipe for a dangerous situation. Here's a tower that we want to build that's so high that maybe nobody else can contend with us. There's nobody else in the world that can, can, uh, that can, that can compete with us. And as they're going through verse 5, please don't miss this point. I think the Genesis writer, kind of tongue-in-cheek, writes this. And he says, as they began to build this tower and they try and make the tops in the heavens, the Lord still comes down. You know what the message of that is? The Lord's always going to have to come down from where he is. 
If he wants to see what's going on this earth, he has to come down to see it. It doesn't matter how loftily a man may exalt himself. It doesn't matter how high a man can build his tower. You know what? God's always going to come down to see that because God's always higher. We place you in the highest place we sometimes sing. We talk about God who is exalted above all else, and that's absolutely true. And it doesn't matter how strong our bricks are. It doesn't matter how high our tower is. God is always going to come down, and he's always going to inspect that to see if it's in harmony with his will. And so it is, 11 verse, chapter 11, verses 7 through 9, God confuses the language of these men, and he scattered them about. The word for tower is a word that we get uh, that uh, talks about in Hebrew, a elevated platform or a pulpit. That would be a tower here in this in this context. What uh, was common in the ancient Near East was what was called a ziggurat. A ziggurat. It was designed for religious purposes for the deity to come and meet with them. And in fact, they called the name of the city Babel, which original name means the gates of the gods. What they wanted was a place where men could come and they could climb this tower and they could meet with God. But God confused their language. Brothers and sisters, when our purposes aren't God's purposes, there's going to result in confusion. When we give in to the world's vision of unity, there's going to be confusion. Please understand that that's exactly what we're facing today. Please understand that when we find in unity in any other place except for God's boundaries, you can expect that men are going to be confused. Men try and have one voice and one purpose and one business and one cause. And if it's not the Lord's, brothers and sisters, we've seen the result of that just in the last 50 to 75 years. We've seen that in the last five years. Why is it that when we talk about the unborn, when we talk about children in their mother's wombs, and you look, look at the terminology that people have to twist and say, well, that's not a baby. That's not a, a living human. What that is is just a clump of mass and tissue and, and cells. And that's not a baby in its mother's womb. Well, wait a minute. Why is it then that whenever we go and we look at the 38 states that have fetal homicide laws, you know what that means? That means that you can have a man that murders a woman who's pregnant with a, uh, with a, with a child and they can be charged with a double murder. Is that me? All right. Oh, maybe it stopped. We'll see if that works. Again, you've got 38 states have fetal homicide laws. If you kill the mother, the mother and, and the baby dies, you can be resulting with a double homicide. Is that confusing? Especially, that's not a child. That's just a lump of mass and tissue. That's, that's not a baby. Why is it that we're confused about this? Whenever we take and we redefine marriage as God's institution of one man, one woman for life, and you find man and woman being joined together, and then all of a sudden people look together and say, well, wait a minute. Why is it that a man and a man can't be joined? Why is it a woman and a woman can't be joined in marriage? Why is that? And then people move that boundary and they begin to say, you know what, let's build a consensus about this. Let's put strength in the stones. Let's put this in our education system. Let's push it through our commercial businesses. Let's make sure that everybody knows that this is something that's okay. If we move that boundary, you know what's going to result? Confusion. Well, wait a minute. Why should it be just be limited to man with man and woman with woman? What if it is a man wants to be married to two women or a woman being married to two men? You know, polyamory is a thing. 
And there are people that are pushing for polyamorous rights. Why is it that you have a pedophile? Why, why can't I be happy with a six-year-old child? Why is it that you can't have this person being married to a child? When we move those boundaries and understanding, you know what? People are going to start trying to push the boundaries. People are going to start building consensus for other things. Why is it that we can't understand God's original purpose for marriage? Why is it that our nation and our world is so confused about these? Why is it, as we mentioned a couple weeks ago, that we're struggling with the identity of here's a man, here's a woman? It's because, brothers and sisters, our purposes are not God's purposes. It is confusion results whenever we give into the world's vision of unity. We'd better be prepared to answer some really hard questions when we redefine God's boundaries. There's going to be confusion that results. Understand this, there's going to be confusion that results whenever we are trying to build a name for ourselves. When we're trying to build a name for ourselves, come, they said, let's make a name for ourselves. Underline that there in your Bible. I'm going to show you something here in just a moment. Come, let's make a name for ourselves. We want to etch our names in the annals of time. We want people to remember us. We want people to fear us. We want people to remember our names and shudder. You consider the implications of building a tower like this. Why is it that they wanted this? They wanted maybe some of these same motives. I'm not to be contended with. You don't mess with me. You know why? I built this tower. You don't mess with me because I'm going to put you to shame. Your power can't compare with my tower. Might makes right. He that has the biggest stick makes the rules. You might need to get on board. Otherwise, we're going to roll right over you. We understand that when we look at man trying to build his own name, there's going to be confusion that results. When a man tries to establish his own reputation and, and really make a name for himself here in this life, and he gets that name and he gets that status and he gets that position, and then he looks at what he's actually got, well, what has he really got? There's going to be confusion that results. Carrie Fisher who will always be remembered, I would imagine, as Princess Leia from the Star Wars trilogy. And you look at Princess Leia and Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher had this to say in her uh, memoirs, uh, uh, Memoirs from the Edge, or her diary, Memoirs from the Edge. She said, having it all is the American dream. And when that dream became my reality, I looked for surreality, that is, escape, whenever I could. She said, the emptiness is not just about stardom. But stardom is perfect because it's the American dream. Well, for me, it wasn't great. Two and a half years ago, I had this nice house, this good job. And when I had a job, nice friends, nice family, but I couldn't feel my life. I was always trapped inside my head. And you look at a person like that, and she died, what, a couple of years ago? And she had quite the toxic cocktail of different kinds of drugs and different kinds of alcohol in her system. I think the cause of death was ruled as a heart attack, I think. But you look at a person like this and you say, yeah, Carrie Fisher's made it. She's made a name for herself as an actress. She, didn't, uh, she stepped out from underneath her, her mother's, her mother's uh, influence, and she made this name for herself, and Carrie Fisher says, you know what, I found the top, and I was confused about what I had. Brothers and sisters, when we try and build a name for ourselves, there's going to confusion. Remember our principle that we need to get. Number one, without God, confusion. With God, there's peace. Three, looking here at contrasting Genesis chapter 11 with Genesis chapter 12. Understand this. Number one, we're going to have peace when we yield our will to God's. When we yield our will to God's. 
That is, I'm going to trust God and I'm going to trust his promises. Can I get you to take a look at the rest of what Genesis chapter 11 chronicles? You're going to find a genealogy, right? If you're looking at the same Bible I'm looking at, the rest of Genesis chapter 11 is a genealogy. You've got a so-and-so begot so-and-so who begot so-and-so who begot so-and-so who begot so-and-so. Is that the way your Bible reads? You have this ongoing, this person begot this person, begot this person, begot this person. Look down at verse 30, because this is going to come to a screeching halt. So-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so, but Sarah was barren. All of a sudden, the beginning is stopped because here's this woman, this wife of Abraham, or Abram at this time, and she is not able to have a child. It was a shameful thing in the ancient Near East to not have any children. Seemed like a kind of a curse that you suffered under. But notice how Genesis chapter 12 begins. It begins with a call to the man by the name of Abram. And God says, Abram, you get out from your country and out from your father's household and I'm going to make you a great nation. I want you to trust me. I want you to follow me. And Abram and Sarah followed, even though it was counter to everything that they knew and everything that they understood. And it is that you find their names in Genesis chapter or Hebrews chapter 11 in that great hall of fame of faith because it is that they chose to follow God and it is that they chose to yield their will to his. Brothers and sisters, faithful service means it's not wrong to build a tower. But faithful service means you make sure that you are first and foremost about God's glory. When we tell our children, you know what, academics is the most important thing. You know what, you've got to get good grades in school and you've got to get good grades to get a good job and then you've got to get that good job so you can have a good retirement. You've got to have that good retirement so it is that you can live the rest of your life uh, 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 well off. And then we don't prepare them for what's coming after retirement and after our passing from this life. We have trained children that are going to fail because they fail the most important test when God inspects their life and their tower. We've told them something. You know what we ought to be telling our kids? You know what, son? You know what, daughter? You can be a garbage man. You can be a garbage woman so long as you're a faithful garbage man. You're a faithful garbage woman to God. You want to be an astronaut? That's great. I hope it is that you reach for the stars, and I hope it is that you achieve the stars. But you know what? I want you to be more than anything else. I want you to be an astronaut that pleases God in your life. That's what seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness is all about. Matthew 6 and verse 33. We teach our children. We help them to understand you want peace in your life. You want a life that's worth living. You don't want a life like Carrie Fisher had. You want a life that's going to be full of God's glory and full of God's blessings and full of that abundant life that Jesus promised in John 10 verse 10. You seek God's will first. You make sure that you're a person that pleases God first. Understand this, number two, peace is going to result when we allow God to build who we are. When we allow God to build who we are. I told you to underline 11 verse 4, didn't I? Look back at it. They're saying, let's make a name for ourselves. Note what God said to Abram in chapter 12 and verse 2. God said, Abram, I will make your name great. It's not Abram building a name for himself. It's God saying, Abram, you faithfully follow me and I will take care of your reputation. Question, pop quiz. Let's make our name great. How many people can you name who worked on the Tower of Babel? Who can name one? 
Anybody? Well, wait a minute. They went everywhere. They were scattered over all the face of the earth. Surely there's somebody, in some uh, historical record or somebody that's got a, a name of, of somebody that we can name from the built on the Tower of Babel. But if I said, who is the father of the Jews? Who is the father of us? Who is our father? They say it was Abram. It's Abraham. How did he get that way? How is it we sit here this evening as beneficiaries of the promise that was brought forth through Jesus Christ to Abram all these so many years ago? And how is it that we still look and we talk, still talk about Abram and Abraham as being a friend of God and Abraham being mentioned as a righteous person and a, a man who lived his life by faith? Why do we still look at his name? Because we look at his name because God built it. He didn't build that himself. He did so through faithful trust and obedience. So it is. You say, you know what? Nobody cares about me. I'm not an Abram. I'm not an Abraham. I'm not a Sarah. I'm not a Sarai. However it is you want to say it. You know, the promise of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. We have an assurance that when we stand at that judgment bar, God's going to say, I built your name, didn't I? I gave you that blessing of peace through Jesus Christ, didn't I? Your life is something that wholly has glorified me on this earth, even if it is that you're just, again, I speak this very respectfully, a garbage person. And so it is, we've got to let God build who we are. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and it's not you will lift yourself up. It's he will lift you up. James 4, verse 10. Last one. Peace is going to result when we accept God's one solution for our lives. Peace is going to result when we understand God's one solution for our lives. Have you figured it out yet? What's the solution to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33? God's not the author of confusion, but of peace is in all the churches of the saints. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we find the solution. We mentioned with the children... Acts chapter 2, birth of the church. Verse 5, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, note this, from every nation under heaven. Everything that we just talked about, all those nations beginning back from Genesis chapter 11, here they are. They're all present here on this occasion. When the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Here's the language. Where did the language come from? It came from Genesis chapter 11, God confusing their language. Verse 7, and they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it we hear each one our own language in which we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elohites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, to the parts of Libya, joining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretan and Zarebeth. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. We have in Acts chapter 2 the beginning of something where God is going to unify the world in a way that has never been seen before. God has a plan for all men to come under his umbrella and have this unity of who he is and have a unity of who his son is and what he's done for us. And as these men begin to hear this message, the message is all about Jesus. And the multitude, as they hear these things, they're hearing it their own language, but you know what? We can all be one in Christ. 
We can all allow God to build who we are. We can have God establish us and, and give us an inheritance with Him. It's not a matter of us building a name for ourselves here on this earth. But God brings together the first 3,000 members of His church here on this occasion. You see, without God, there's always going to result confusion. Without God, when we try and build our names without Him, you can expect we're always going to be confused. Brothers and sisters, when we humble ourselves and submit to him, he has purposed a unity in Christ that we can be a part of. And so it is, we, as Ephesians 4 and verse 3 talks about, we're endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. We talk about the peace that God offers. It's nothing that you're going to find in this world. It's nothing that you're going to find through pursuing selfish ambition or conceit. It's only through humbling yourself and accepting God's one solution for your life. And that's the answer to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33. God has purposed unity, but if unity is going to result, it's got to be on his terms. God says, you want to be near me. You want to be in my presence. He said, the only way that you're going to get there is through Jesus Christ. Do you need to know him this evening? Do you know him this evening? Are you living for him this evening? If not, why not? Let's stand and sing our invitation song.